The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome to the other side of the news. Tonight we have a really intriguing show with our guest, Robert Morningstar. The show is called Tripwire to Tyranny. Co-hosting with me is Annette Driscoll. Timothy Saunders is traveling, so he will not be joining us tonight. I just want to mention to our audience, if you're listening on the Blog Talk channel that's with the other side of midnight... I have a link in there that goes directly to tonight's show on the Tosin channel. And I would really love it if you switch over to that link or in the future switch over to that link because this spaceship will soon be departing from the other ship and then you won't find us here anymore. So we would really prefer you listen to our shows on the Tosin Blog Talk channel and the link is in the description. I just want to mention to our audience, if you're listening on the Blog Talk channel that's with the other side of midnight, I have a link in there that goes directly to tonight's show on the Tosin channel. And I would really love it if you switch over to that link or in the future switch over to that link because this spaceship will soon be departing from the other ship and then you won't find us here anymore. So... We would really prefer you listen to our shows on the Tosin Blog Talk channel, and the link is in the description. Tosin is the other side of the news for people that aren't right. With that. Yeah, the right. Other side right. Of the news, right. It's blogtalk.com forward slash T O S N. On a personal note, I'm finally taking a vacation retreat on the beautiful island of Maui in Hawaii. And the terrain is so engaging. It's diverse with dry grass areas and verdant tropical jungles and exquisite and beautiful, beautiful beaches and water. And I love that you can swim out into the water and it's warm and inviting and beautiful and clear, and you can see the fish 
amazing cloud formations. I've never seen clouds like here. They're low and they hang close to the water and they make these exquisite patterns and they go up like chimney stacks and it's very unusual. It's a fantastic experience. And uh, it's a real wonderful opportunity for me to reassess my life and where I'm going with it and what my next step will be. And I can tell you I'm enjoying Hawaii. <laughs> I needed oh. that. Well, hello. I'm glad you're enjoying Hawaii. This is Anetta. <laughs> And I'm still in California. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I tripped over a tripwire, apparently, and, and uh, I did a, a fractured foot. So I'm a little bit, um, I'm not used to sitting still. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, other than that, everything's good here. So for tonight's show, Tripwire to Tyranny, we're going to look at the tailspin that the U.S. is in as the FBI crosses the line using its agency to go after dissenting political opponents, clearly an attack on the rule of law, while the IRS has hired thousands of new agents to audit the little guy. Now, even the masses can see how corrupt this government is. Meanwhile, inflation is flaming the fires of insurrection around the world. Robert Morningstar brings to light the hidden misdeeds of the corrupt FBI. These revelations will blow you out of the water. And I am delighted to bring Robert on. This came about from uh, the raid from the FBI on Mar-a-Lago, I mean, an unheard of event. This has never happened before that they would cross such a line. And in speaking with Robert, he had so many other data points that line up with this, some that I don't believe you've heard before. And uh, we're going to have a really intriguing show tonight. Robert, welcome to the other side of the news. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here and hear your voices, especially well, when we have important information and important historical events to uh, to share with the public. Right. Well, it seems to me like they have been working. Uh, when I say they, I mean like the FBI and the CIA have been usually covert, but now they're so openly crossing the line to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, to raid a president because, you know, you know, it's because he's a major political opponent. So now they're taking sides. This is like way too much. And I hope that the general public is waking up to this tyranny that's going on. What would you say to all that, Robert? I'd say it's not the first time that they've taken sides. They've been taking sides uh, since 1963. This is where this whole this whole uh, drama started with the assassination of President Kennedy by the deep state. And when we say the deep state, we must include the CIA, the FBI, National Security Council, um, a, lot of, a lot of players. NASA is another one in there. And so um, tonight's show, I, I chose the images uh, purposefully 
because there's a lesson to be learned. And if we don't learn that lesson, we're not going to have a country. We're not going to have a constitution. And later on in the program, toward the end, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a dreadful executive order that was signed last December 22nd by Joe Biden. That's my name for the resident in the White House, a Chinese puppet, Joe Biden. Oh. Like Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping, Joe Biden. Mm. So he signed an executive order uh, to create digital currency and kill the dollar. So we're facing a lot of hurdles, and, but we do have uh, an opportunity to stop it in its tracks. So that's what I hope to do today. I wanted to add one thing in here too, Robert, is that uh, one of the, you know, the, all these three letter agencies, but we also have the um, Federal Reserve Bank, or in other words, the central bank yes. system, and that they're a major player. And then their collection arm, the, uh, the, the uh, Federal, I mean, the IRS. Yes. And, and, uh, and with the, uh, the bill that they, they passed through the Senate, they're trying to get through the House right now, uh, they're called, you know, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is just ridiculous and absurd. I don't know if that ties into what you're going to talk about, but it is certainly part of this. Um, they're, they're all entangled together. They're all working together. It's all deep state. I'm glad so, you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that because the term that's used in the executive order, number 14067, refers to something called CBDC, CBDC, Central, Central Bank Digital Currencies. That's what yeah. it stands for. And it is uh, the vehicle for enslaving every American and everybody in the United States, Americans or non-Americans. They are going to be able to track every penny you spend, and they are going to force you to spend money and if you don't spend the money, your, man, your money will digitally devalue. But uh, let me just go here for a moment to the website. And I'd like to point people, listeners, to the items. And I chose for the first item an amazing essay that I've read on my own program. I read it last Sunday, and it is so powerful that I decided to read it again on Monday. But with, it's, I'm going to read an excerpt, which is the very last, very last paragraph. I want to start. Now listen to this. Kate Stanzel wrote, The venom of evil, which is everywhere today, paralyzes the moral mind. Lucifer and his gang know this and hope you will become so tangled in the web of utter disbelief and terrified of the dark shadows you see everywhere, that you will become powerless to act. Don't let yourself become their victim. Stand strong for what you know is right. Get off the couch and out the door. We have a country to save. I recommend this essay wholeheartedly. It's very powerful. And, and uh, would you mention the name in case someone's not looking at the page, Richard? I mean, uh, Robert? <laughs> Uh, Kate Stanzel, and it can be found at News with Views. And I thank her very much for this exposition. It's very inspiring. And the title is Incredulous, and that deals with incredulity and the inability of people to believe the truth, the facts, even when they are presented 
right in front of their faces. And I would say I, I'm seeing some of that here in Hawaii because I've met uh, some friends of my friend that I'm staying with. And I began talking with her about what's going on. And she hadn't heard anything. I mean, nothing. It's like, wow, you know, they're to so dialed into the mockingbird media here that you know, they haven't a clue. <laughs> well, let's say it's it might go. Yeah, it might go a little bit further than that, though, because uh, there are people. I think Robert, what you're referring to is people that actually have the information in front of them, and they're suffering so badly from cognitive dissonance or brainwashing or whatever you'd like to label it that they yes. can't they can't process it. Is that is that correct? Is that what you're referring? Yes, to? it's part of it. It's part of it. Uh, the um, well, Mark Twain said it. He said. It's easier to fool a man than to convince a man that he has been fooled. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's, wraps it up in a nutshell. So um, let's go on. I mean, my concern, my great concern is for the safety of President Trump, because I have seen this scenario played out so many times in my life. And we're going to go through that uh, stage by stage. Uh, how the deep state killed President Kennedy, perfected during that time a methodology for mass deception, grew bold, did it again with Martin Luther King, and two months later, did it again with Robert Kennedy, using a formula for mass deception. You mentioned Mockingbird uh, Press I'd like to tell the audience what that refers to. In the 1950s, the CIA started to recruit reporters, journalists, uh, editors, publishers in, um, in a fervor of patriotism as, uh, as anti-communists to become uh, adjuncts, uh, assistants to the CIA. This project was called Operation Mockingbird. And in the course of time, through the 50s, by 1963, they had insinuated and infiltrated every major news agency, every magazine, every television station, broadcast station. And uh, they were in a position then to be able to control and filter the information. I point out to people that we are very familiar with this term pool reporting. But that was not a common thing before the assassination of President Kennedy. And pool reporting began in Dallas on Friday, November 22nd, when they ushered in all of the journalists from around the world who had flocked to Dallas to get information on the assassination. They figured out a way of controlling all the reporters. Because prior to that, reporters used to work with policemen and police and detectives and police departments, and they were sleuths. They were detectives themselves. They would pick up clues, they would share them with the police, and uh, the biggest scoop was to have a reporter crack the case alongside a police officer or detective or department and uh, break, break the story. So all news agencies were vying with each other for that scoop. But by taking all of them and putting them all into a room where they were 
controlled. They couldn't go out through Dallas. They couldn't follow up leads. They couldn't uh, interview witnesses. They were able to filter every single piece of information regarding the events of that afternoon and feed it to the world. Now, here's the interesting thing. Why did they choose the term Operation Mockingbird? I learned from my friend who's been on your show that the mockingbird can imitate the call of every other bird. It can fake out all the other birds by imitating their call. A mockingbird can sing like a robin, can tweet like a sparrow, and, um, you know, coo like a pigeon. Hence the term mockingbird. The bird is mm. mocking the other birds. So this is the, uh, the essence of what has happened to what used to be called journalism. The real journalism is being done tonight by you, by me, and I would say thousands of other alternate media sites that have given up on the fake news. And one of the greatest favors that President Trump did to the world was to label it fake news. I remember that day he was angry at what they were writing and he pointed his finger at CNN and said, you are fake news. And that's it. That's the truth of it. Uh, shall I go on? Okay, my concern yes. is, my concern, my, of course I'm concerned by the, the violation of constitutional rights. We have many constitutional rights, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom to bear arms and defend ourselves. But we have also a constitutional right against illegal search and seizure. This came about because the colonists were suffering illegal searches and seizures everywhere. All of us grew up with uh, basic American history. And one of the things we know about uh, the colonists is that they rebelled ultimately because of something called the Stamp Act. Now, me growing up in the 1950s, I thought, oh, the king passed the Stamp Act. It means that you had to use uh, more stamps on your mail or <laughs> charge more for the stamps. No, do you know the Stamp Act was a claim by the king that he owned the colonists and therefore owned everything they owned. And so he owned their houses, he owned their um, possessions, he owned their tables, he owned their paintings, he owned their axes, he owned their tools. And so he demanded that there be a stamp, that you had to pay a, a tax on every item you owned. And if it didn't have the king's stamp on the item, it was uh, illegal property. <laughs> my mind oh was my gosh. My mind was boggled when I learned the extent of King George's tyranny because he had wars to pay pay for so he he puts it on um, the people's he put it on the people's back and that's what led to the shot heard around the world at Concord Bridge. But can you imagine that? I mean, and I didn't learn this until about six years ago. So the Stamp Act was a very serious, serious thing. And now going back to um, digital currency, this in, in fact is similar to that in its intention and in its scope. So Bernard Carrick, the former ex-New York City Police Department commissioner, came out the day after the raid and he openly stated that President Trump 
is in danger of being assassinated by the Democrats. And uh, this is not a, this is not something anyone would voice without having some experience and some inner, some knowledge of how these things work. So Bernard Carrick lived through the assassination of President Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy. He became, he became the commissioner of the greatest police department in the world, in my opinion. I've always been happy to live in New York. I've always loved the New York City Police Department, and I respect them for everything that they do to keep us safe. And so he has knowledge. He also has knowledge from the clink, you know? He served time uh, for some uh, indiscretion that he had, and he served his time and he came out. So he knows crime and punishment uh, from both sides, inside the cell and outside the cell. I take him very seriously, and I had the same impression. They're setting up something. They are desperate. They are desperate because they know that the, the nation has turned against them. They were very happy when they stole the election and confounded the public, not all of us, and thought they could get away with it. But in a year, just over a year and a half, uh, it has destroyed the social fabric and confidence in ourselves, not completely, but a lot of people have lost confidence and are basically mentally disabled, in addition to a vast segment of our society that is mentally ill. And it's shown by the rising crime, the violence, the intolerance, uh, the intolerance to free speech, the intolerance to voicing any opinion other than what is voiced on the fake news. So... Well, I think it's such a bold move that they would go, you know, and raid his place because what they're doing is they're making Trump a martyr. I mean, they're just going to piss him off more. It's like stepping on a hornet's nest. I mean, right? <laughs> you know, now, he's, I'm I'm incredibly impressed by his fortitude. That's uh, that's a word we've lost contact with. Those those words, those virtues. His fortitude mm -hmm. is incredible for him not to be totally demolished emotionally, mentally, physically by what was done in 2020, for him to pick himself up and uh, bootstrap, you know, put his boots on and say, I'm not going to let this happen and go to work as he has done. Uh, I admire that, that strength, inner strength tremendously. And I notice also that President Trump has been humbled by this whole affair. It's ironic that the day before the raid, I chose to play on my radio program the speech that he gave in Washington on July 26th before a, a conference of, uh, you know, Make America Great Again uh, proponents. And I think that terrorized the Democrats. The president returned to Washington, the scene of the crime, on July 26. And he gave a speech. He was very low key. I could see that a lot of his bluster uh, was washed away. There was humility. But with that humility, there was an inner strength that I had not seen before. And it was the most common sense 
straight-talking speech that any president, in my opinion, has ever given. And I think that terrorized the Democrats. So the following, uh, that was July 26th, last Sunday, I chose to give him airtime because he is still being censored. They give you a soundbite or an ugly picture to make him look bad. So several times over the last year and a half, I have given him airtime. So I played the speech and I was shocked to see the raid come down. I went, I oh, that was a great show. Have a good sleep. Wake up the next morning. I got, I got, I, the first thing I opened was his tweet and I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, Eric Trump, had sent, I, I follow them. So Eric Trump sent a tweet and he said, this is like a banana republic. I go, what is he talking about? So I clicked it and it was President Trump's speech denouncing the raid. So that was a sign to me that uh, the daggers are out. Yeah. Dag- like Julius Caesar. I was greatly affronted in New York with two companies doing Shakespeare in New York in 2020. And they both depicted the assassination of Julius Caesar in modern dress. And they chose blonde haired guys with blue suits and red ties to play Julius Caesar. And they, they staged the most ghastly assassination scenes, you know, with fake blood pouring all over the stage in Central Park and also on a monument that I revere. Soldiers and Sailors Monument here in New York. And they have been uh, desecrating Shakespeare from political lens. The worst was 2021 when this Shakespeare company that I have always supported for 21 years, I've supported them here in New York. They staged a Julius Caesar and Julius Caesar was played by a woman and Pompey, the general Pompey, Caesar's rival, was played by a woman. And I, I was just utterly disgusted by what, by what they were doing with Shakespeare. So I went up to their producers and I said, you know, I'm never coming to any one of your productions again. It's interesting that they have a Chinese um, stage and assistant director. She stages it and she's been doing it for the last five or six years. And it's during that uh, that term that they have been politicizing uh, Shakespeare for Democrat for the Democrat agenda, and I was aghast at it. You know, I met Charlton Heston many years ago in 1997, and uh, we connected. We became friends for 10 years, and we corresponded every year. And when I met him, he gave a wonderful mm-hmm. talk about the Bible. And he said that he had, in, he considered five works of literature to be sacred writ. And he said the Old Testament, the New Testament, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the works of Shakespeare. Mm. I was really impressed by that, and I've always held it that way. So this is part of the culture war, right? The culture war that has tried to make Caucasians feel ashamed of being Caucasian and uh, extolling communism, Marxism, Leninism as viable alternatives to constitutional law and capitalism. So 
we are in a war. It started off with a culture war, but culture wars often lead to civil wars, and I hope that we can avert it. I think that the populace is wise enough to know that that is what the powers that be want to happen so that they can come down, clamp down hard with uh, martial law. Some people are talking about they want to create a crisis to cancel the elections. I said, you, you can't do that. No election, no presidential election has ever been canceled. Korean War, Second World War, First World War, there's never been a reason big enough to cancel an election. So don't right. think about it. So that's where we stand. So now with uh, we go on from that. The issue of UFOs. President Trump broke the truth embargo on UFOs. So now I come to item number three, which is uh, a reporter. His name is Daniel List who does some very good reporting. He goes by the term dark journalist. And he put out a two-hour report on the FBI raid. And he zoned in on one of the items that I think is at the core of this. And it is the UFO file, what they're looking for. There are many opinions as to what they're really looking for. They're talking about documents related to nuclear material. They don't say nuclear weapons. I don't know why they say nuclear material. And then there is other. So Daniel List and I also believe that uh, they may have been fishing around hoping to find uh, UFO reports that the president uh, may have taken. But the key is this. Every item that the president had in his possession, he declassified in the last weeks and the first weeks of um, the last weeks of 2020 and the first weeks of 2021. The president is the ultimate declassification authority and he can wave his wand. He can say wand, boom, this is declassified. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's coming out now. And I thank my friends in California who are listening today, my friend Keith and my friend Greg, um, and they send the information right before the show. And the first one is that Cash Patel, who was a national security advisor, was involved in all of these declassifications. And he asserts the president declassified all of these. He had the power to do it. And if there were any documents in those boxes that were not declassified, it was an er error made by the uh, government services uh, administration who packed the boxes, labeled them and ship them off to uh, Mar-a-Lago. Well, and then the other possibility is that they're not so much looking for something as an opportunity to plant something. All right. So that, uh, that gets us into another realm, which will take us now into the assassination of President Kennedy. Well, hold on, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to go away. Okay. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. Our guest tonight is Robert Morningstar. And co-hosting is Annette Driskeld and myself, Kinthea. The show is called Tripwire to Tyranny. And we shall return. Take a look at what is going on with us now. 
you have vax or no vax, you have mandates or no mandates, you have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make uh, pres- prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, something really inappropriate's gone on here. We're being controlled. I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to have mandates and all these, and another thing to shut people up who say, I would like to talk about this a little bit. No, you don't. You're not going to talk. And, and so we have, uh, you know, people like uh, Dr. Mercola being shut down. That is not us. That's not how we operate. People ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion. And, and have uh, say, uh, I'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you. So here are the things for a good immune system. But I'm sorry, you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to. So something's going on. So that, my friend, is going to be exposed. That's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever. So it's there now. But believe me, it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on. Just like the, the abuse of the, uh, that I've just talked about, of both women and kids with priests and all, it's here in an ugly way, and eventually it's going to be seen. Crying says there'll be revelations, there may be even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco, that they were, of course, addicting our children, and they had a cartoon, and they knew that it caused cancer. And you know what happened with that. We shut that basically shut that down and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll. I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There are going to be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times. Welcome back to the other side of the news. Tonight's show is Tripwire to Tyranny. And it's Robert Morningstar is our guest. And we were just talking, Cynthia was asking some questions and we were talking. And I wanted to, to finish up a little bit on what you're speaking about and then kind of redirect the uh, flow of this, if we could, Robert. So we were talking a little bit about the possible declassification of uh, the uh, possible UFO kind of documents. And I wanted you to finish up with that. And I had some other ideas around that. Sure. Well, I have other ideas, too. I think uh, there are many possibilities. And one of the possibilities, and this may be on your mind, too, that it could be the pedophiles, the Epstein pedophiles, because the judge uh, who, the magistrate, who authorized this raid was a lawyer who worked for the state of Florida during the time that they were prosecuting Epstein for his uh, pedophilia and uh, child abuse. And he quit and then became a lawyer for Epstein's uh, co-defendants. So this is the guy that they got to okay to sign off on the search warrant. 
So that makes me a little bit suspicious of his motives, and it gives me some cause for pause and say maybe it's not UFO files. They're terrorized. They're well, terrified. Well, I, I, I think yeah. that they needed to get a super compromised, whoever it was, because I think they had, I mean, when we look at a, a search warrant, we need to have probable cause for a criminal activity, and they have to state what that is, and they have to state the reason they believe that the search warrant will reveal some of that. And I don't think that they had any of that. They couldn't They couldn't possibly. I, 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 I'm not sure. Has the warrant, I, I didn't follow the last oh, couple yes, hours. It was released today. Uh, the, yeah, okay. Yeah, the court released it today. And um, it's, it's saying that uh, they believe that he um, may have destroyed uh, evidence. He may have um, taken unclassified uh, or still classified information. It's a whole litany of, uh, I mean, everything but the kitchen sink is in there. Well, I mean, it's always interesting because, as we know, people that are committing crimes generally accuse others of exactly what they're doing. So that's, that's an interesting little aspect of way to think of it. But it's also, you know, we have, we have this super corrupt person who's extremely compromised, who's susceptible to all kinds of uh, blackmail and extortion. That would be the magistrate who knows what else is going on there. It, the idea that, I mean, that these are all viable things, uh, UFOs and pedophilia and on and on it goes. Um, and and the the thing about classifications, like, well, okay, if it if it was a classified document, yeah, he could have waved his magic wand and it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, but then you have to look at you have to look at like oh oh bummer who never you know who what how many how many pages are he took thirty three million pages okay. of documents yeah. and the president remarked on that today. But yeah. there's also the other uh, you know the. Uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which is the Hunter Biden laptop and the need to hide the criminality of mm-hmm. the Biden crime syndicate in particular with regard to Ukraine. So well, we there's there's that. Mm-hmm. There's the the uh, inflation reduction uh, bond, uh, you know, that, that boondoggle, which is nothing but money laundering. And also a way to bring a lot of um, tyranny to the American people. I mean, we have uh, 724 billionaires in this country, and they're bringing 87,000 new agents, new in addition to what's already there, uh, which makes I, I can't remember the list, but it makes the uh, the IRS with that addition would make the IRS uh, the combined bigger. size of like four different agencies, right? Yeah. Yeah. It would make it bigger than the Pentagon. That's what. Yeah. Uh, what I heard yesterday, and I've been to the Pentagon. In fact, pretty, you know, uh, I have a brother-in-law that's a that's a uh, two-star general, and I and I, I've been on inside there, and it's it's enormous, guys. It's just like unbelievable. It's its own city, and um, so yeah, we it's it's ridiculous. Plus, I mean, if you look at the job description, they want these people to be physically fit. Uh, they want them to do fifty hours a week at minimum, and they want them to be able to carry and use firearms. You have to ask, and and we already know that they have put out, you know, they have invoices for buying all this uh, ammunition and firearms for the IRS. I mean, I was going to do a, a thing tonight, and I'll probably have to do it next week, on the Louis the Sixteenth and the similarities of Biden and Louis the Sixteenth and, and the taxation thing and the IRS. But, the, but the, the point is, is that there's so many scandalous things going on. There's so many things that could be, um, that they need to be covering up the elephants in the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the other side of this that I'd like to look at is what if it's coming from the other side? What if, you know, 
I believe that the, you know, one of the, I mean, Trump is a big fan of um, the art of war. And one of the big uh, tenets in the art of war is, you know, never get in the way of an enemy destroying itself. And so are we looking at this? Are we, are we, did they, they know the playbook. They know what's going on because these people publicize everything they're going to do, every move they're going to make. It's up to you to decode it. But, but is this also another possibility? I think it is. Um, myself, but yeah, there's plenty to cover. There's, I, I think we're looking at desperate and very stupid people. Um, I'm not going to mince words and, and try to like put flowers on these people and say they have brain cells worth rubbing together because clearly they don't. And um, you know, looking at poopy pants there, the basement dummy, he, you know, he isn't, he isn't capable of even putting on a jacket coming off of a helicopter. So, you know, we we've got some real problems here. But I'd like to go into some of the historical connection between what we're seeing today and what you know. Because I know that you have um, done a lot of research in this about how they pull off these um, coups, these assassinations, what's their motivation, how they're all connected. I was watching a um, documentary this week, in fact, um, A Rich Man's Trick. Oh, yes. And it turns out that Mr. Robert Morningstar is seriously mentioned in the middle of this documentary because he like did all all kinds of research that brought light to uh, the Kennedy assassination. So I kind of like to go back down there because I know it's connected to a lot of other stuff, the CIA and, of course, UFOs and all that. So feel free to reconnect to all that. But I'd like to talk about why you were mentioned and how that relates to today because I found that fascinating. Uh, I was as surprised as you are when I first saw that. That mo movie came out about six years ago, and they've tried to scrub it many times from the Internet, but really good people have copied it, and they keep reposting it. It's got two versions. It's, one is called Everything is uh, a Rich Man's Trick, and the second version is called JFK to 9-11, The Unfortunate Truth. And it's uh, much to my surprise, I started watching it, which is uh, as an expose of the, the crime family of the, the Bushes from um, the, the grandfather during World War I, who became a merchant of death. Uh, and then Prescott Bush, who financed the Nazis. And then, of course, our own dear poppy, George H.W. Bush a.k.a. poppy, and it does not mean papa. It means poppy, like poppy seeds, what heroin comes from, who was a front man for the CIA. But the, um, the surprise came that Mr. Richard Francis um, Collins, I believe his name is, uh, took my work, which you can find in one of the items, The Ultimate Secret of the JFK Assassination. He took my work. The forensic investigation that I did and uh, the, uh, the photographs of Officer Tippett, if you go down the line of items after you see the poster of President Kennedy that says what, what we can learn, what we, what we can learn from JFK, that is um, item number six. Okay, it's under the ultimate secrets of the JFK assassination. And at this point, uh, I'm just going to do a technical adjustment here to the screen. All right. So what 
we can learn from JFK. I think I've told you already. What we can learn from JFK is that any of us and all of us can be fooled. That's a given. Mark Twain said, it's easier to fool a man than to convince him that he has been fooled. Well, we were all fooled. I was fooled. Everyone watching from that time was fooled for 30 years. But in 1993, I broke the case. I discovered something. I discovered that the body that has been presented as that of President Kennedy, the morgue shots, as they are called, the president supposedly in Bethesda Naval Hospital, are not President Kennedy. They are actually photographs of Officer J.D. Tippett, the man who was killed 45 minutes after the president was shot. A police officer was killed in the streets of Dallas, purportedly by Lee Oswald. And this man's picture was hidden for 30 years. When I read about his death in the New York Times, it said that Tippett had been shot in the eye and that his face had been horribly disfigured. And for that reason, uh, no one was allowed to see the body, not even his wife. He was uh, buried on Saturday. The whole history has changed. Now they try to make it that Tippett and Oswald and President Kennedy were all buried on Monday. But I'll tell you, as God is my witness, I watched every moment from the time of the assassination till the uh, burial in Arlington. And Officer J.D. Tippett was given a policeman's uh, honorable funeral on the Saturday, immediately following. And he was buried in a silver casket that had the ornate designs that we associate with Britain, so-called a Britannia casket. The casket was sealed, although one latch was open. You can see that in the film of them sliding it in. And in contrast to the, the struggle that the Secret Service men had loading the casket that purportedly had President Kennedy's body onto the airplane, uh, Air Force One, on Friday, they lifted that casket as if there was nothing in it. And personally, I think there was nothing in it. There was nothing, right. I right. think that Tippett was in Washington being carved up and photographed and, uh, and uh, manicured and uh, made up to look like President Kennedy. Now, I brought this out in 1993, and I asked the question before a conference of uh, JFK assassination experts, 200 of them, we're in a closed session. The public was not allowed. This was my first time before this group. And I made the statement, why haven't we seen a picture of Tippett, a second picture of Tippett? There's been only one picture of Tippett released in 30 years. Why? What is the mystery about him? And then I told the audience, I found out a very interesting thing. Officer Tippett was shot through the head with a single shot through his brain. And... I suspect that they may have used Tippett's brain for the autopsy. And there was a, a gaggle of giggles amongst these researchers. But the man at the podium, fortunately for me, was a gentleman who became a mentor. His name was Professor George Michael Levica of the University of Hartford. And he stopped them. He stopped their laughter. He said, hey, hold on a second. I've studied Tippett. I've gone down to Dallas. And I interviewed people in the police department. And it turns out that Tippett bore a close resemblance 
to President Kennedy, so close that his friends on the police department used to gag, uh, gag him and tease him and call him Jack and JFK. Wow. The, there was no more laughter in the room that day. And after I left, uh, a gentleman named Dan DuPont from North Hollywood came up to me and he said, Mr. Morningstar, I heard what you said. And uh, I think you're on the right track. And I have Tippett's autopsy. I said, what? He says, I have Tippett's autopsy report. I said, how did you get that? He said, well, there was a Canadian journalist named Gary Muir who went up to Dallas, down to Dallas from Canada, he go down. He said he went down to Dallas and he went to uh, the coroner's office and he requested Tippett's autopsy report. And I have it and I'm going to send it to you. And that's where it began. I read the autopsy report. I have to give credit for my skepticism about the autopsy to David Lifton, who wrote a book called Best Evidence. And he said that the body was the best evidence and that the autopsy proved that President Kennedy had not been killed the way that they killed him. David Lifton got the Warren Commission autopsy report and he took it to a, um, a doctor at the University of California, a surgeon, and he said to him, I'd like you to read this autopsy report about this brain and I'd like you to tell me what you think killed this man. He didn't tell him it was President Kennedy. So the surgeon read the autopsy uh, paragraphs that uh, Lifton gave him and he says, well, it sounds to me like this man was killed with an ax. And he said, what? He said, yeah, look at this. This is talking about a parasagittal laceration in the brain. That's, that's a cut, you know, parasagittal uh, incision into the brain. It's as if he got hit with an ax. And that got David Lifton thinking. And I go, wow, what an incredible thing to discover. So then I discovered that Tippett had been shot through the brain. And then the Warren Commission autopsy describes a whole brain. It's been damaged by one bullet that passed through the brain. They couldn't tell the direction uh, of the, the flight of the bullet, but they describe in intimate detail two hemispheres. But every doctor in Parkland Hospital attests that there were no two hemispheres. The right hemisphere was totally liquid, liquefied and macerated and poured out of the back of President Kennedy's head. So in fact, there was half a brain or at the most two thirds of a brain, but there definitely was not two full hemispheres. So I said, God, this, I have to be right. I have to be right. And it turns out that Officer Tippett was assassinated in an unusual way. And Oswald Double, he stopped somebody. They say it was Oswald, but Oswald was already watching a movie in the Texas theater. He was watching a movie called War is Hell. And he was sitting in the audience in a practically empty uh, theater, waiting for his handler. Officer Tippett was shot three times in the torso, in the chest, one one bullet hit a button that gouged it. The hit it hit perfectly on one of the brass buttons on his tunic, and it gouged his abdomen. It didn't enter his body. And then, as he lay wounded, the assassin walked over to Tippett on the ground, and he put the gun to his temple and he fired one shot through his head, the coup de grace. 
And then he, he ran away and drove off in a gray colored car. So I put two and two together. I said, it has to be Tippett's brain. And I, at that time, I only thought it was the brain. And that's why I asked the question, why haven't we seen another picture of Tippett? Why have we seen only in 30 years, we've seen one picture of Tippett, which was not a current picture. It was taken in 1952, which he has a surly look, a cowboy shirt, his hair slicked back, and he kind of looked like a, a surly Elvis Presley pose, you know, with his head tilted. So then uh, Dan DuPont gave me the autopsy report and Professor David Porter of Empire State College in New York uh, called me up and he said, I'm going to help you with pictures. I found another picture of Tippett and little by little, more pictures of Tippett started to emerge from this network that was growing around my work. Professor James Fetzer, he's very well known now for assassination science, the great Luder hoax and other books. Uh, I debated the following year. I, I was there to prove that the Sapruder film is a consciously engineered mass hallucination. I received my degree at Fordham University, where I was a Regent Scholar, and I studied psychology. And three of my favorite subjects in psychology were time and motion studies, Gestalt psychology, and Jungian psychology. And through my experience of Gestalt psychology, I was able to see that the Sapruder film was altered. I thought it was altered from the very first moment that, that I saw it, because the film fooled me. In 1968 was the first time the film was shown publicly on CBS. They cut out the part where the president's head blows up. Yep, you can't yep, miss where sure it, 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 it blows sure up. Yeah? Yeah. So, but they showed the passage of the car near the sign. So Robert Morningstar was an ardent admirer, follower of President Kennedy. I used to look at him and think about him and like, why do I feel like he's my brother? You know, I really had that feeling. Oh, hi, I'm, you know, cause I was raised uh, Spanish. And later on, I found out that I do have Irish blood, but be that as it may, I am there glued to the television set, 100% attention going on. And the car goes by the sign and I thought I blinked. And I said to myself, damn, how could I have blinked? I was concentrating so hard. Oh, you know what? They show that film again at 11 o'clock, you know, CBS News. They're going to show it again. Okay, I'm going to watch it then. So I get there again. And this time, if I had 100% attention at, at 7 o'clock, I had 104%. Like they talk about the space shuttle when it blew up, they said, okay, Challenger, go 104%. So I was 104% paying attention to the film and it goes by the sign and damn it, I blinked again. And I got a nasty feeling in my stomach. I, I felt ashamed, you know? That's what I felt. I said, God, how could you blink at the same exact point in two viewings of this film, when you were concentrating so hard on the second viewing. And I walk, walked away, and that was my first experience of cognitive dissonance, because the, fool, the film had fooled me. And the upshot is that 30 years later, I discovered the, that copy of the Zapruder film that was shown on CBS, 
was shown in a PBS special. And in the, that version of the film, they interposed a completely black frame at the point when President Kennedy passes the sign. They had interposed a completely black frame to black out the sign for one thirtieth of a second. And why? Because in the intact, pardon your expression, the intact film, which is glued together, when he passes the sign, the first thing I found was that the film was cut right through the horizontal uh, axis of the uh, of the uh, of the frame, and that it was glued together with blue glue, blue paste. That was the technology they had in 1968. They had no digital technology, so they cut and spliced it, and they took something out. Years later, by reading the Warren Commission report, I found out what they'd taken out. And it was that, and this is the testimony of Abraham Zapruder. Zapruder was standing on a button, purportedly braced by his secretary with the most advanced eight millimeter camera of its day, a Bell and Howe eight millimeter camera that had single, mo uh, single frame, 18 frames per second, and 46 frames per second, slow motion. Zapruder shot the film in slow motion. More than 10 feet of it had been removed. But Zapruder said, when the car passed the sign, I saw the president's head pop up and then pop back down. And Arlen Specter said, oh, no, no, that's not possible. You know, uh, that's not possible. You couldn't have seen that. His, uh, he was blocked out by the sign. He said, and Zapruder said, no, no, I saw his head pop up. I saw his, the red hair come up, red brown hair come up, and then he disappeared again. Aha, uh -huh. now I knew what they had taken out of the film. Because it was at that point that the car stopped. The Zapruder film is a, talk about fake news. It's the, it was the first and ultimate rendition of fake news. The car stopped. It slowed down. It stopped. It crawled forward again, slowly. It stopped again at the grassy knoll. But when you look at the Zapruder film, you think that it just blazed by at 35 miles an hour. But the car never went faster than 11.4, and that is actually in, in the Warren Commission report. So what happened? President Kennedy was sitting there. There was a loud noise, something, somebody blew up a firecracker or an ash can, and uh, everyone was startled. And at that moment, President Kennedy was shot in the back between the shoulder blades. And he jumped up in the car and he said, oh, my God, I've been shot. And then he fell back into the seat and slumped down and he slid off the seat. And as he was coming out, as he's coming out from behind the sign, another bullet hit him in the throat. And then the car went on, crawling on. And Connolly turned around. And now I'm going to give you Dan Rather's version of the intact Zapruder film, which he got to see before they sold it to Time Life and had it cut out. Dan Rather said he saw Governor Connolly turn around and reach his arm back. And there are three videos of Dan Rather giving this testimony. And every time he gives the testimony after the first time, the arm comes closer to his body, and the arm comes closer to his body. But when he imitated Governor Connolly turning around, he really turned around and reached back 
because what Pres uh, Governor Connolly was doing, he was reaching back to help the president back into the seat. So that's when Rather says that he saw the shirt of Governor Connolly covered with blood, which was when another bullet hit Governor Connolly. So then the car crawled on, and at Z313, we see President Kennedy's head explode. So what was done to the Zapruder film using Gestalt psychology was to turn five shots into two. So how do you do that? And I have an easy way of demonstrating that. And I will demonstrate it here on camera. Imagine that the Zapruder film with the five shots, that that strip is taped across your hand, okay? You have 18 millimeter frames taped across. Robert? Yes? Guess what? We're just about well, at the great. top of the hour, so okay. I don't want to disrupt this. So let's come back no, and, and go, into, yeah, go into detail, okay? okay? All right, so you've been listening to the other side of the news. The tonight's show is Tripwire to Tyranny. Our special guest this evening is... Robert Morningstar, and we're having a really in-depth uh, description of the Kennedy assassination, one that you most likely haven't heard. Um, and uh, we will be right back after the break. This woman named Violet, she's got a 16-year-old son who's autistic. And she kept trying to file for an exemption for the mask. And the teachers were, you know, they refused. And they were really right up in his face trying to keep this mask on him all day because he was clearly uncomfortable and agitated with it. Well, he got to a point where he was doing physical harm to himself. So he had to be placed in a mental institution. So Violet decided to go down and acquire the bond of her superintendent, her the assistant superintendent, the treasurer and the assistant treasurer. And this superintendent turned out to be bonded for $4.6 million per claim. So Violet went ahead and uh, served this woman a letter of intent to file a claim against her surety bond. And when you file a letter of intent, you basically have to list their violations. Then in this case, she had concluded that this woman had broken 27 state federal and international laws, including color of law. And she served this woman along with 10 other friends per mm -hmm. claim, $4.6 million per claim. Wow. So we're looking at 40 plus million in, in <laughs> potential liability. So needless to say, the superintendent went on the run. This was over the Christmas break uh, and she tried to call the police <laughs> she tried to get the sheriff involved and she literally went missing for a week <laughs> oh my goodness and uh when school came back in session violet went ahead and served her in person so six days later so what you have to do is you have to give them this letter of intent and in that letter you have to declare what you want them to do to resolve the problem so she asked this superintendent to one drop the mass mandates two, admit that she was wrong when it came to her son, and three, to resign. The woman did nothing. So on day six, Violet went down and filed the claim. And this claims adjuster really had no idea what to do. You know, they're looking around for the forms, like, oh, this has never mm -hmm. happened. You know, oh, right, geez. Right. And uh, so 
Violet went and filed the claim. The very next day, they had a, a private meeting, but it was recorded with their counsel. And we have their counsel uh, on record communicating to the board of directors. They actually used the phrase, we should buy some more beer and heroin because you guys are in deep trouble. We had oh to stop gosh. all state and federal funding. They had to um, drop all the mask mandates. They had to start calling in parents to assist because they couldn't pay their teachers. And they left the superintendent out to dry with this $4.6 million in liability. So a week later, Violet felt quite guilty and she had gotten what she'd wanted. They had removed the mask mandate. So she went ahead and she retracted her claim out of a, a measure of good faith to let this woman know, hey, I do have this power. I don't intend to overuse it. You need to back down. Well, what did she do? She went right back to her old ways, put the mask mandate right back in place um, uh, and, and acted like nothing had ever happened. So Violet went ahead and filed another claim because she can and the problem is not resolved and, uh, and anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. Hi, this is Mickey Klon, and it was such a joy and pleasure to meet with Kinthea, Annetta, and Timothy on the other side of the news. Welcome back to the other side of the news. This evening, our special guest is Robert Morningstar. And before break, we were just, a, we were talking about the Saruta film and how it was basically spliced to make us believe it was something that it wasn't. So why don't we carry on with that, Robert? Okay. Let me go back to the description I, I began about how the alterations uh, were made. The film is cut at the juncture where the car appears to turn the corner. When you break down the film, the car doesn't turn the corner. You see three motorcycle men come around. And when you see the third motorcycle man, suddenly you're watching that third motorcycle man in the car. The, the limousine is on the street. But if you go uh, through those frames, you find that the frame before, there's no car on the street. And in that frame, the car is teleporting right on. It's so appropriate that we're having sirens right now. So I'm in New York City. There's a lot of police activity going on. So I think it's just a good synchronicity. So then the car goes on, and there was another instance where the car came to a stop, and they cut that out, and they had to splice it. And then, and, they are, and the splices are unique. They're not ordinary splices. It's not cut right through the film or in, in between the frames because... The, the jump would be obvious. They actually interposed partial frames that were uh, measured precisely to uh, have the golden mean. That is to say that the bottom part of the frame was about two-thirds of a frame and the top part of the frame was about one-third of the frame. But when I measured those frames and the segments, it came to 1.619. And I said to my friend, you know, all these frames that they've juxtaposed and interposed, um, they're all cut to this ratio of 1 to 1.619. He said, oh, my God, that's the golden mean. 
the Fibonacci series. So by doing that, they were able to make these splices look organic. We go on to the sign, what I was saying about the five shots. Five shots were fired at President Kennedy. One hit him in the back, one hit him in the throat, and the triangulation at the grassy knoll, three shots practically passed through, uh, right through his head, opened the head, passed through the head. So how do you doctor a film to hide that? So imagine your hand spread out, and the time, uh, the spread of the fingers is the time between the shots. So they cut the, fr the film between the thumb and the index finger and joined that. So you didn't see President Kennedy jump up. You only saw him come out from behind the sign and get hit in the throat. Then the car moves on, and when he gets to the grassy knoll, three shots hit him almost simultaneously, but with enough time between them to, to, to see that they were different shots. So they cut the film between the middle finger shot and the ring finger shot, and they cut it between the ring finger shot and the pinky shot, and they were able to make those three shots look what one huge explosion that defies all the laws of physics when you see the reaction of the body. Dan Rather lied blatantly. He said that he saw the shot that hit the president uh, push him violently forward. But as you know from the litany in the movie JFK, he was hit and fell back into the left. And that's why. Because the first shot from the grassy knoll area, there were three, two shooters on the right side and another shooter on the opposite side. But almost simultaneously, a shot from the grassy knoll area opened up the forehead, right? This was downward. This is seen in 313. When you look at Z313, you can see the copper tracer of a bullet going directly to Kennedy's head. Instantly, another shot, more from the front, from the corner of the grassy knoll, entered the open wound and blew out the back of his head. And that's the... Uh, the brain fragment and the bone fragment that almost hit a police officer and a man who was standing there with his son. His name was Charles Brem. He was looking directly at the president. He saw that piece of bone flying at him and his son. So that's how the Zapruder film uh, was doctored. I would like to point out that in the items that I've submitted, there are two items for the ultimate secret of the JFK assassination. And one is a written article with my forensic analysis telling the story of how this information came to me, how Dan DuPont gave me the autopsy report, how I sat down with the autopsy report on one side and the Warren Commission report on the other side, reading the autopsy report simultaneously. And I said, my God, they're talking about the same brain. They're just different, using different medical jargon. But it's beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's what, I'm, what we're reading. So there's a video there has the same name. It's on YouTube. It's been there for, uh, let me see, I guess it was uh, 2017 or 18 that I did it. And the interesting thing is about the that video, in the first three days, it got a 30,000 views. In the next two days, it got another 17,000 views. And all of a sudden, the following week, the views were down to 30,000. And now they crept up to 40 and then back to 30 and then up to 45. So a lot more people have seen it than uh, YouTube is uh, allowed to tell. So if you see that video in 35 minutes, I break this whole thing down for you. And you'll be able to see the frames and the uh, slice marks and an explanation exact of exactly how 
this optical illusion was created. And who was responsible for the cover-up? None other than the FBI. The FBI came to Dealey Plaza, or was in Dealey Plaza, and they confiscated every film that was taken, except Zapruder. Zapruder got away in time. He just jumped off the button, hightailed it out of there. And the, ironically, an FBI man named Regis Kennedy took the film from a lady named Beverly Oliver, who is known as the Babushka Lady. She would have had the best, closest film of the assassination that anybody would ever see or may ever see. I think there's hope it may still be around. I'm going to ask you, do you think it's around and do you think that as we see uh, things be declassified, which I believe that's what's going to happen here. I think that I think that's what's really going on around this raid. But that's another. We'll get back to that. But do yeah. you think that we're going to be seeing these kinds of things? Is I don't believe that they just it just totally disappeared. Somebody has something somewhere. I agree because I've seen things appear. The Zapruder film kind of got reintegrated a little bit in 1997. They did um, a digital copy of it, and I saw frames appear in that film that were not appearing in the film that I've been using since uh, 1993. So strips of film are emerging that are then recomposing. So I do hope that um, that the uh, Beverly Oliver film, the Davis film, the Bell film. The next film, the next film, it, it does exist. That one was seized by the FBI and then given back, but it was altered. And they're all, and then the Mormon film, uh, the much more film. There are three films that you can get, the, the Zapruder film, the much more film, and the Nix film. And they're all sliced and diced at exactly the same junctures, taking out exactly the same things. So I don't have hope, but you see, I don't need hope. I, I have. I know these witnesses. You know. I know Beverly Oliver. I met the policeman, um, whose uh, micro- microphone they said was stuck that captured the sounds. Um, Hal McLean. I knew him, and he was terrorized. You know. Uh, somebody brought him to the table where I was in Dallas in 1998. Uh, Rachel, if you're listening, I hope you are. Rachel Rendish, friend, uh, she said, I know Hal McLean, you know, uh, he knew Tippett, then bring him over. She brought him over to the table and I opened up my book and I start showing him pictures of the assassination and then the body. And when I opened the pictures of Tippett, you see one picture there, which is a split face picture. Half of it is President Kennedy and half of it is Officer Tippett. I composed that with my own hands. That's not a digital uh, copy. That is real photography sized up, sliced with an exacto blade and taped. You can also see the tape at the very top. So I open up this book and Hal McLean, oh, you knew Tippett? Yeah, I knew Tippett. I served with him on the police department and he goes, oh yeah, okay. So I open the pages and I start showing him the pictures and when I open those pictures of Tippett and the Bethesda victim, I don't call the victim in Bethesda JFK. I call him the Bethesda victim because he's not JFK. He's Officer Tippett. So I show these pictures to Hal McLean, who was in the motorcade. And his eyes bugged out. The man started to freak out. His body started to scream, and he looked at me. 
And I and I said, so you think that's Tippett? No. And I saw something, there was something in his eyes. He was utterly terrorized. And then, so I pointed another picture in my composites, and I said, is that Tippett? No. Then I pointed to the Bethesda victim, which is a profile picture, and I said, is that Tippett? He said, no. And then I pointed to the real picture of Tippett that said Officer J.D. Tippett under it, and I said to him, is that Tippett? And he said, no. And I said, oh, my God, I'm giving this poor man a heart attack. He knows if he tells me the truth, he's going to get killed. But he's telling me the truth by telling me, I can't tell you the truth. I have to lie. I have to lie about everything. So when you point to that picture of Tippett, the real picture of Tippett, he said no. So that's part of the, the adventure of uh, the JFK assassination. But who, who framed Lee Harvey Oswald? It was the FBI. Lee Oswald was in Dallas as an informant for the Justice Department and working with the FBI. He had an FB, two FBI handlers, a watcher and a handler. The watcher was named James Hosty. The handler was named William De Breuer. Now, here's one interesting thing. Everyone knows that on November 21st, someone unidentified sent a telegram to every FBI office in the United States saying there's going to be a plot. There is a plot to assassinate the president, uh, President Kennedy in Dallas on November 22nd. That warning went out on November 21st. J. Edgar Hoover gathered up every single copy of that telegram that went to every single FBI office in the United States. He destroyed them all, but kept the master, the one that went to Washington. President Trump released that telegram. I read it, and there are spelling errors in it, and there is a name at the bottom that says W. De Breuer, but De Breuer is spelled wrong. And one of the things that Lee Oswald is notorious for is bad spelling and poor grammar. So the man who issued the warning to the FBI that a attempt would be made on President Kennedy was Lee Oswald. Lee Oswald was a hero. He gave his life for his country. They sacrificed him. They used him as a patsy. And the use of a patsy is part of the pattern in every assassination. I must say, including the recent assassination of uh, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in 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 Tokyo uh, in uh, what is it? Somewhere over there, I don't know. Um. It'll come back to me. But the important thing is that that sh that shooter was a patsy. He fired yeah. a shot that made a loud noise that didn't hit Abe, and Abe turned partly around about 85 degrees to see where the noise was coming from. Then the second blast came. But they say that Abi was hit in the chest, but he never turned around completely to face the direction where that shooter was going, shooting from. Abi was obviously hit from another vantage point at a different angle. But that's how it works. And so the FBI is the agency that came up with the... the um, the receipt for the purchase of the rifle by uh, Al Hydell. They 
uh, framed Oswald in every possible way. There was doctoring of photographs purportedly of Oswald standing, holding a gun, holding a rifle, three new communist newspapers. And when they were shown that picture, Oswald said, that's not me. They cut some, that's somebody, somebody else's body and they put my head on it. And when uh, a certain uh, well-known JFK researcher enhanced those photographs, he found the line under the chin. And the chin and the jaw are different than the real Oswalds. So let's jump because we are um, in the second hour. Well, yeah, let me let me ask you a question real quickly sure. here. So this is, uh, I wanted to, to bring this back around to what's going on today. So, you know, I like I like wearing my tinfoil hat. And uh, I'm pretty, pretty clear about that. And uh, anyway, so, you know, there's there's obviously a lot going on with the FBI and the CIA and all the, quote, intelligence agencies. And I'm using big air quotes there with intelligence. But, uh, you know, we have a situation where this is all being brought out front. I I did uh, earlier in the show propose the idea that maybe this was brought out on purpose from the, the good guys or white hats or whatever you'd like to say that we may be allowing them to self-destruct or to out themselves out uh, in, in a situation like this. Um, so we have, we have this situation. It definitely involves the FBI and a, and a number of other nefarious organizations. And there's a question about this, um, what they're looking for in Mar-a-Lago and what they uh, actually found and what will be revealed. There are um, people, I'm one of them, that has said, you know, it's possible because everything was declassified, and I don't believe that they're going to find anything that wasn't declassified because of the magic wand. Um, but there, you know, there's some people say that maybe what they're trying to hide is that they, you know, President Trump has been, uh, they've made a lot of assassination attempts on him. Yes. So maybe they're going to be revealing um you know, the other, the other side would be revealing through this, this documentation. This is the perfect outing of that. Um, maybe they have documentation proof of other things going on. I mean, what's your feeling on all that? Because that's, that's swirling in my world. And um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to swirl a lot in the next couple of days. I mean, intuitively, that's what I'm feeling. So how do you feel with that before we jump on to the next mm-hmm. stage here? Well, I feel that uh, there's a lot of there's probably a lot of truth. I've heard that there were six attempts on uh, President Trump that were all hushed up, and uh, I I hate to say it, but it's pretty well known that the Secret Service was in on the uh, JFK assassination, oh, yeah. by if not by commission, by omission, by neglect. They looked the wrong way. Uh, Secret Service men, not the Secret Service men themselves who were there to protect the president, but the uh, the overlords, uh, for example, the ones who told the Secret Service men not to ride on the back of the limousine where their bodies would have been standing up using handholds. They would have covered the back of the president. So there's a lot of controversy, controversy about that. And there's a gentleman named Abraham Bolden, who was the first black Secret Service man in Secret Service, and he was personally appointed by President Kennedy. And he went to jail because he came out after the assassination and he told the story that he had been attending a barbecue with other Secret Service men. And he heard uh, Chief Rowley and several other Secret Service men grumbling about President Kennedy. 
and his uh, plan to cooperate with the Russians in space and go to the moon with to the moon with the Russians and they uh, looked askance on that and uh, some of them or one of them said I'm not willing to take a bullet for that guy so Bolden made that uh, report and so he was railroaded and he was sent to federal prison and lived under that stigma for many, many years. But before President Trump left office, he issued Mr. Abraham Bolden, the first black secret service man in history, uh, a full pardon. So that's another thing that the deep state doesn't like. Um, I'd like to talk about um, Martin Luther King now. Sure. Yeah. Who, really, who really did it? Because well, I'm, I'm going to show you a pattern. The pattern is finding a patsy and framing the patsy. In the case of Martin Luther King, the patsy is a man named James Earl Ray. And I was intimately involved with the investigation of Dr. William Pepper. One of the items there under Kennedy's and King's is um, shows the book by Dr. William Pepper, who dedicated 50 years of his life to proving that James Earl Ray was innocent. And he, in fact, did so in a trial that took place in 1999 in Memphis, Tennessee. And I helped Dr. Pepper get that trial and get that win. I found the document called the Miltier Files. The Miltier Files are transcripts of the Miltier tapes. Joseph Miltier was the number three man in the Ku Klux Klan, and he liked to play poker. And in, on November 8th of 1963, he was playing poker with a man named William Somerset, who was an informant for the Miami Police Department. And he had his apartment bugged so that they could record a conversation as he played poker with Joseph Miltier. During the course of that conversation, Joseph Miltier said that they were out to get Kennedy and they were out to get Martin Luther King, too and that they were going to get Kennedy by one of several ways that he described. He described getting him from a high office building with a knockdown rifle, meaning a rifle that could be uh, stripped down and pulled apart and hidden, and that the other plan was to hire an assassin who would take a room in a hotel across the street from the White House and wait for President Kennedy to come out on the porch and shoot President Kennedy while he was on the veranda. And I read that and I said, my God, you know, this is 1963 and he's describing the same way that the official story says James Earl Ray killed Martin Luther King. Took a room in a hotel across from the Lorraine uh, Motel and shot Martin Luther King when he came out on the veranda. But that's not the truth. James Earl Ray was innocent. He was seen driving a Mustang away from the hotel minutes, 15 minutes before the shooting occurred. So what happened? Dr. Pepper dedicated 50 years and he wrote that book and he, he names the killers. There was a spotter who helped the killer line up the shot and the shooter was an ex-Vietnam veteran CIA uh, sheep-dipped uh, agent 
who was uh, working with the uh, Memphis Police Department. His name was Frank Strauser, and he had a big guy. He had a 14 size, size 14 shoe or foot. Mm -hmm. They found the footprint, and they took a plate, you know, and they measured the, the shoe or uh, the imprint in the in the area where the shot was supposed to have come from, uh, the real shot, and it was a size 14. So Dr. Pepper tracked this fellow down and interviewed him, and he was a very uh, cagey, cagey guy. And uh, at one point he said, oh, what the hell does it matter now, you know, when Dr. Pepper was asking him questions. Uh, so Dr. Pepper was very... Very sly, and he said to him, "Oh, by the way, Frank, what what size shoe do you wear?" <laughs> and Strauser said, "Size 14." But the point I want to make tonight is that Dr. Martin Luther King was betrayed. He was betrayed and set up. There's a term called the Judas goat. The Judas goat leads the sheep or the goats into the slaughter. He leads them into the the pen and then walks off. Well. It turns out that Dr. Pepper discovered that the, the, um, the FBI paid for the assassination of Martin Luther King. The FBI paid $50,000 to a man named Russell Atkins, who was the head of the Dixie Mafia. He was a municipal worker who kept a very low profile, but he was the top Ku Klux Klansman in Memphis, and he was the one who was hired to set up the shooting. He was paid $50,000, and $50,000 was paid to the Judas Goats, plural, two men who pretended to be allies, colleagues of Dr. Martin Luther King, but they were actually working for the FBI, and they were induced or directed, ordered, to change the room in which Dr. Martin Luther King resided. Dr. Martin Luther King was on a ground floor room that had no windows. He was next door to another room that was full of his bodyguards, a group of veterans uh, who volunteered to be his bodyguards. They called themselves the invaders. And 20 minutes before the assassination, the landlady was ordered to throw them out. They were told that the sponsors would not be paying for their room that night and was ordered uh, to throw them out. Who was paying for their room? The Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And that was a question I have had. I knew that somebody had changed the room 30 years ago. So on July 16th, excuse me, uh, in 2016, on July 20th, uh, excuse me, June 21st, the summer solstice of 2016, Dr. Gary Null invited me to be one of the reporters in a global press conference with Dr. William Pepper to expose the real killers of Dr. Martin Luther King. And when my turn came to ask the question that I had wanted to ask, which was, Dr. Pepper, we all know that somebody changed his room. Who changed his room? Dr. Pepper was taken aback by the question. And he said, well, oh, uh, Gary, we talked about this before, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, 
So I have that interview. I provided it to the other side of midnight. You can hear the entire two hour plus interview and get the whole story. But I've asked Keith Morgan to play this excerpt where I get to ask that question. And it's one of the proudest days of my life because that day we exposed the Judas goats. So Keith, if you would play that excerpt, I'll be happy to hear it again. This is Dr. Gary Nall, Dr. William Pepper, and your stream. Um, let's say hello to Robert Morningstar, who is also a uh, scholar in the field. Nice to have you with us today, Robert. Thank you very much, Gary. It's an honor to be here with you and Mr. Pepper. Um, I would like to ask Mr. Pepper, uh, first I'd like to remind him that in November of 1997, I had a young English lady deliver to him personally in London a copy of the Miltier Files, a transcript of the Miltier Dialogue with William Somerset in which this uh, scenario for assassination of, uh, of the victim on a veranda uh, across from a hotel was explicitly described as a tactic that was going to be used on President Kennedy. And five years later, the exact same plan was executed on Martin Luther King. The question I have deals with the switching of the rooms. For this plan to have worked, the room that was initially assigned to Dr. King on the ground floor was changed to the second floor with the veranda with the sniper waiting outside. Do you know who changed the room? I, I believe um, it's, I have an opinion as to who changed the rooms. I can give you the scenario um, if you like. Um, one of our witnesses that I mentioned earlier is the, is the son of the Dixie Mafia uh, chap and family, the Adkins family, who handled things on the ground. Uh, when old man Adkins died, his son, Russell Jr., uh, came on and took over management of the operations, but in actual fact deferred continually to Frank Holloman, who was the director of police and fire. Holloman had spent a number of years in J. Edgar Hoover's office in Washington as an administrative assistant and was well-trusted. Um, aside from incriminating statements that this uh, young man heard Ho Holloman making uh, about the killing and how King should be, where he should be shot and all of that, um, uh, the the mother uh, of, of this boy, who was the wife of Russell Adkins, um, received a message from Holloman through her son. And the message was, "You have, we have to get King, exactly what you said, we have to get King into an open air uh, uh, area uh, where a decent shot can be had. Martin King was assigned to room 202. And you're quite right. It was a it was a ground floor, secluded, secure, protected room. He had to be moved to 306, where he could be a target, a viable target. So the message came down to uh, May to to May uh, uh, Atkins, and she was told to get a hold of Alleg uh, alleged. Ah, alleged. Uh, well, she was. Yes, her son, her son was there, and he 
said that she received the message, and the message the message was that she should call a, a family. There was a, fa a black guy who worked for the family called O. Z. Evers. He, she should call O. Z. and get O. Z. to arrange for someone to visit the owner of the motel and to change the room. Um, so he said she sent him to the to the uh, their outhouse, uh, second house they had on the property to get her husband's um, day book where he had Ozzy's number. She called Ozzy, and the young man was standing right, he was 16 years old at the time, was standing right there at the time, and Ozzy told her he would call her back. And when he called her back, she gave him instructions uh, as to what should be done and who should be asked to go to the owner of the motel. Do you want to get into that at this point? Well, Because this man has raised that, that whole issue. Okay, well, let us just put it in this context. What he is about to say now is his personal opinion. It is an allegation, and anyone mentioned will have the right to come on the program and to challenge it. O.Z., according to Ron Tyler Adkins, who was standing by his mother, uh, at her elbow when she was talking on the telephone to O.Z. Evers, he said, she said to him very clearly, go and get uh, Jesse, he was talking about Jesse Jackson, go and get Jesse to go visit uh, uh, Bailey, the owner of the motel, and tell him to make the change. That is what we took under oath from this witness. And as Gary said, it was an allegation, and it has to be looked at as an allegation. And it is not, it is not that action uh, is not confirmed by anyone directly, except, in fact, Martin's room was changed from 202 to 306. And, in fact, Moments after Martin King was shot, I'm standing on room 306, Lurley Bailey, who may have been the person, she, she ran the motel, Lurley Bailey grabbed her head and said, my God, what have I done? And she ran to her room in the motel and locked the door. She had a stroke was taken to the same hospital as Martin. She died five days later. Now these are fa that, that's that's a fact. I mean those those things all happened. This uh, this other uh, other incident is, as Gary rightly says, an allegation. And you know I have known Jesse Jackson uh, over many years, and to me it was um, it, it was depressing and shocking, but I, I had no idea uh, other than to have an opinion that this young man had no reason to lie about those, those events. Okay. Thank you, Robert. We're going to break now. The show tonight is Tripwire to Tyranny, and our guest is Robert Morningstar. Co-hosting is Annette Driscoll and myself, Kinthea. We'll be right back. 
Mass formation and totalitarianism can emerge typically if people feel lonely already. If people don't feel lonely and disconnected, you cannot provoke or, or a mass formation won't emerge either spontaneously or artificially or intentionally created, doesn't matter. But people need to be disconnected in order to be able to, to be vulnerable for mass formation. So once a mass formation happened and once a totalitarian state emerged in a society, then the first thing that totalitarian leaders do is typically to isolate the population. That's usually the first thing they do. Sometimes they do this intentionally. Stalin, for instance, in the Soviet Union, intentionally tried to isolate people because he just knew that when people were isolated, they would never be able to organize themselves and protest against a totalitarian state. But in Nazi Germany, Hitler didn't try to isolate people intentionally, but still it happened spontaneously in the totalitarian state. So it can happen, it, uh, the isolation of people can be pursued in an intentional way, but even if it is not, people will start to become more isolated just because of the phenomenon of mass formation. And that's why it is so important to really understand the mechanism of mass formation. Because then you see what actually happens throughout the mass formation and even much more important, what you can do uh, against it. Hello, I'm Matthias Desmet, professor in clinical psychology at the Ghent University. I also got a master's degree in statistics and I am the author of several books. My latest book is The Psychology of Totalitarianism. I was on this show and I liked it very much. This format in which you have a long time to talk and to speak is, is really great and it's so crucial for the situation we are in now that we take time to speak and to listen to each other. And I think that uh, the other side of the new show uh, gives us a wonderful opportunity to do so and contributes greatly to finding a true solution, a profound solution for the situation we find ourselves in now. And welcome back to The Other Side of the News. Tonight our guest is Robert Morningstar. The show is called Tripwire to Tyranny. Robert, you were just laying out the pattern of how patsies were being used in these assassinations and even tying it to the latest assassination over there yes. uh, in Asia. So please continue. Yes. Well, the, the setting up of the scapegoat is an integral part of the getaway. Without a scapegoat, you know, the real killers will be found. So this has become um, a grand guignol opera, you know, it's a, a staged uh, setting. So just as Lee Oswald was set up uh, as the patsy for the JFK assassination, James Earl Ray was set up in the same way to cover up that um, CIA uh, operatives in the Memphis Police Department, specifically Frank Strausser, uh, was the actual killer. And then we come now to the case of Robert F. Kennedy and uh, Sirhan Sirhan. Now, I was very disappointed, but not surprised, 
that your Governor Newsom, after the parole board earlier in the year approved the release of Sirhan Sirhan from prison where he has been since the day he shot, didn't shoot. He shot at, but he didn't shoot Robert Kennedy. Governor Newsom refused to sign the release. And you wonder why. What does Governor Newsom have to fear from releasing Sirhan Sirhan, except that he knows like the rest of us who really know that Sirhan Sirhan did not shoot Robert Kennedy. So the, um, the item that I'd like you to look at is entitled Life Cover. Will he dare run in 68 is one of the subtitles on this uh, cover of Life magazine with uh, Robert Kennedy in 1968 at the time when uh, he was contemplating running, but he hadn't decided because the rumor was that uh, LBJ was going to run. But when LBJ got his butt kicked up in uh, New Hampshire, uh, in the primary, he decided to bail out. Uh, Senator McCarthy beat Lyndon Johnson in the New Hampshire primary, and just like Biden and the Democrats see the writing on the wall, LBJ saw the writing on the wall. He knew he couldn't win, so he decided not to run, and at that point, Robert Kennedy announced his candidacy. And regarding the death of Martin Luther King, all hell would have broken loose at the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. But it was a speech given by Robert Kennedy in Indianapolis that night. He gave the word to this crowd that was there for a Robert Kennedy for President rally. And he told the crowd, and he told the crowd, it'd be very easy for all of us to get angry and to grow, uh, grow in rage and hate but I remind you that a member of my family was also assassinated. And he said as himself as an example that his family had suffered this great, great tragedy, but had not turned to hatred and was instead working for peace and uh, the end of the war in Vietnam and uh, civil rights and, and justice. So I wrote an article called The Last Acts of Robert F. Kennedy because my friend Roy Schaefer and I and uh, several other investigators, we found the real killer. And the real killer was, was a rent-a-cop who was holding Robert Kennedy by the right arm, leading him out of the um, hotel. He was supposed to go out through the grand ballroom where everybody would see him, but at the last minute they changed the route just like they did in Dallas with the route of the car. The car was supposed to go straight down Main Street, but they made two turns onto Houston Street. Excuse me, that's the New York way of saying it, Houston Street, and then left on Elm Street so they could bring him into the Grassy Knoll area where the kill shot was uh, done. So the same thing was done with Robert Kennedy. The, uh, the, the exit route was altered, and Robert Kennedy was led by Judas Goat, to the 
kitchen, the pantry, and they were walking him through the kitchen. Now, the situation is very interesting. The manager of the hotel had Robert Kennedy by the left arm and Thane Caesar, a rent-a-cop, who worked for a military industrial aerospace company uh, as a security guard, was holding Robert Kennedy by the right arm. So as they were walking through, Thane Caesar firmed up his grip on, on Robert Kennedy's right arm, his right elbow, drew the gun, brought it over his side, and put the gun to the back of Robert Kennedy's right ear, and he fired a point-blank shot. And how do we know that? Because Dr. Thomas Noguchi, the coroner, Los Angeles coroner, did the autopsy, and he noted that there were powder burns on the hair and the skin behind the right ear of Robert F. Kennedy. While Sirhan Sirhan never got closer than eight feet away and in front of him. So Sirhan Sirhan fired shots that hit two other people. He fired shots that hit the ceiling, hit the walls. I think there were eight shots. But the kill shot came from Thane Caesar who was a member of the John Birch Society and a supporter of George Wallace in, the, uh, in that 1968 election um, and in the 72 election, I suppose. But this I know, this uh, fact that he supported George Wallace, I know because I heard him say it. A certain uh, reporter went and interviewed uh, Thane Caesar and he wired himself with a micro recorder and walking along with him, he asked him a lot of questions. And during uh, the questioning, he said, well, who do you support? He said, I supported George Wallace. And of course, you know that George Wallace was a Dixiecrat of the, uh, the deepest kind of uh, hatred and prejudice of black people. Black people. And of course, um, the African-American population uh, admired, trusted, loved Robert Kennedy and saw him as the hope uh, for improving their condition and for and my hope for ending the war in Vietnam, which was not a, any unnecessary thing except that it kept the economy going and uh, made rich many merchants of death in the military industrial complex. So Sirhan Sirhan, the lies about Sirhan Sirhan. Sirhan Sirhan is a Palestinian. No. Sirhan Sirhan was not a Palestinian. Sirhan Sirhan was a Lebanese-born uh, person. Sirhan Sirhan was a Muslim. No. Sirhan Sirhan was a Lebanese-born Maronite Christian. But he did abhor what was being done to the Palestinians, as many people do, by the Zionist state of Israel. I have heard audio tapes of a Dr. Benjamin Diamond, a psychiatrist and a hypnotist, hypnotizing Sirhan Sirhan and putting him into a trance and trying to induce him to confess to killing Robert Kennedy. Now, one of the interesting things that Dr. Diamond, a very talented hypnotist, was able to do was he was able to hypnotize Sirhan Sirhan into believing that he was a monkey 
and cl- made him climb up the on the jail cell, like we call it monkey bars in children children's playgrounds. He was able to hypnotize Sirhan Sirhan to think that he was a monkey and to clamber around on the jail cells uh, as if he were a monkey scaling a, a monkey bars in a, in a children's uh, playground. But when it came time for him to try to convince Sirhan Sirhan that he had shot Robert Kennedy, he was planting suggestions everywhere. He said, you have the gun in your hand. You see the senator. You're angry. You're a rage. You want to keep, you see them. You draw the gun. And Sir Hans says in his trance, he says, oh, they're telling me, they're telling me that I shot Senator Kennedy, but I, I didn't, I didn't shoot Senator Kennedy. It's a fascinating um, audio tape of the abuses of psychiatry, the abuses of criminal psychiatry and psychiatric analysis when the psychiatrist is working with the criminals trying to frame another patsy. So it is my hope someday, it is my hope someday that Sirhan Sirhan will be freed. Perhaps if California gets a Republican governor and uh, he's righteous and just, that he will release Sirhan Sirhan. He's an innocent, innocent of shooting Robert Kennedy. He was drugged. He was given LSD. He was handled by a CIA agent through a secret society, um, meditation society, Rosicrucians. He was taught hypnosis himself. Sirhan Sirhan wanted to be a jockey and he used hypnosis to improve performance. He used to gather the other jockeys before a race and induce a uh, hypnotic session to make them all excel, have better balance, have uh, greater strength. And he was easily uh, inducible uh, into hypnotic trance. But Dr. Diamond was not able to convince him or to program him to say, I shot Robert Kennedy. So an innocent man still languishes in California prisons 50, more than 50 years after the act. Which brings us now, which we have very little time left. We must all work to protect not just President Trump. We must protect President Biden or any president. The assassination of a political figure is one of the most terrible things that any nation can undergo. And I prayed for eight years, despite the fact that I disliked Obama intensely, I prayed for his safety. I pray for the safety of Joe Biden, and I pray for the safety of Donald Trump. And if any of you in the audience hear anyone saying somebody should shoot Donald Trump or somebody should shoot Joe Biden, knock some sense into them. Because it's the worst thing that could ever happen to our country. A patsy would be blamed for it. And I want to bring to your attention who would be the patsy if President Trump were attacked, God forbid, assassinated. If he were assassinated, who would be the patsy? Well, I have a very intelligent friend named Greg. He's a Californian. He contacted me before the show and he told me who the patsy would be. He said, if they assassinate President Trump, the deep state is going to blame Iran and they will use the assassination of President Trump as an excuse for attacking Iran. If President Trump is 
assassinated, they will try to use the patsy to justify terrible, terrible deeds. Before I finish, I have to say, we cannot trust the FBI. We cannot trust the CIA. The FBI is the greatest threat to American freedoms that we have today. I would remind you that they are not only the ones who set up the patsies in those three major assassinations. They assassinated the wife, the baby, the son, and the dog of Randy Weaver at Ruby Ridge. They killed 87 people, many of them senior citizens, at Waco. They lied about everything from 9-11 and who perpetrated 9-11 to Saddam having weapons of mass destruction, everything. Everything the, the FBI has fed the American people for the last few years has been a lie. Have you noticed how many times school shooters had contact with the FBI before the school shooting? Do you remember that they assassinated the brother of the Boston bomber. They went to interrogate the brother of the Boston bomber and they said he got unruly, so they killed him. What would we, what would we have learned from the brother of the Boston bomber? Folks, we cannot trust this agency, it's gone rogue. There are a lot of good agents in the FBI. They do their work. The information that I've given you today, much of it came from the great work of the FBI men who escorted the body from Dallas to Washington, Robert Siebert and Francis O'Neill. They noticed a difference in the body they saw in, in, in Dallas with the one they saw in, in Bethesda. They said in Bethesda, it was obvious that surgery had been performed specifically to the top of the skull because they saw President Kennedy's body and they were presented with Tippett's body after it had been doctored. The information I gave you about Officer Tippett's death and his wounds, that came from Vincent Drain, an FBI agent. There are good, righteous, honest FBI agents, but they are being led by a corrupt and criminal cabal. And now that criminal cabal is after President Trump. We must all pray for his safety. We must all strive to protect all presidents of the United States, all the senators, all the congressmen, the tragedy of Steve Scalise when a deranged Democrat shooter went and shot up the Republican congressional baseball game. All right. So, Rob, Robin, let's uh, pause there. Yes, yes. We're, 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 at, we're at the end of the, the runway. runway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I always come in for a <laughs> Right. So I just want to underline for all our wonderful audience that we are the ones that have to stand for the truth. We cannot just accept what's fed to us. We must do our own due diligence and we must not acquiesce to these dark forces. The time is now, we're at the edge of the cliff. It's fly or die. That's where we are, folks. And I'm so grateful, Robert, that you brought in these correlations and Good night all.